Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be talking to Dr. Vin Williams about concussion protocols. This episode is brought to you by the Functional Neurology Center, Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team functional neurologists who are leaders in neurorecovery and experienced in treating complex concussion, concussion cases with dysautonomia, vertigo, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They have greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Good Men Project, and I recently launched the Brain Health Magazine. And my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury, recently received a silver medal in the Midwest Book Awards. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And also be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And join our Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Dr. Vernon Williams. He is a board-certified sports neurologist and founding director of the Center for Sports Neurology and Pain Medicine at Cedars-Sinai Kerlin-Joby Institute in Los Angeles. And he is also the team neurologist for the Los Angeles Rams. So I'm so thrilled to have you here today, Dr. Williams. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Amy. I'm looking forward to it. And I just want to also add that you are a contributor to our first issue of the Brain Health Magazine, which is coming out at the end of the month, and it is just a fabulous article. So kind of full circle moment here, having you part of the podcast today as well. Oh, that's great. I'm looking forward to the magazine as well. Yeah, I'm really excited. You know, there, there just, there was a need. There's just really nothing that exists in the consumer. Um, You know, there's lots of magazines for doctors and professionals, but there's really nothing out there for the consumer. So I'm really excited about the magazine. So Dr. Williams, I would love if you would just give us a little bit of your background and how you came to work in neurology and what brought you down this path. Yeah, so, you know, I was actually lucky. I was an athlete in high school and a football player, and I did some other intramural sports and that kind of thing. Uh, But a counselor of mine knew that I had an interest in science and asked if I wanted to participate in a summer program at one of the local hospitals. This was in Detroit, Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. And I said, yeah, as long as it doesn't interfere with football practice. (laughs) So uh, we were able to uh, arrange with my coach that um, that summer I would go over to Henry Ford, and I was assigned 
to the Department of Neurology's research laboratories. Other students were assigned to oncology or uh, other, other departments. I just happened to be assigned to neurology, uh, and I was in one of the research labs as kind of a lab assistant for the summer. Uh, one day, the chairman of the department came down into the lab and asked who I was. I introduced myself. He said, well, why don't we get you out of the lab and come upstairs uh, to the wards and see some patients? And that was the beginning of my interest in neurology. And so um, I was lo lucky. I was fortunate that I was given that opportunity and I just continued uh, that interest all the way through high school and into undergraduate. I, I did an accelerated medical program at the University of Michigan uh, where you were admitted to the medical school from high school. Uh, it was a seven-year accelerated program, and I knew from the very beginning that I wanted to do neurology. Uh, I ended up going back to Henry Ford for an internship uh, and then to University of Maryland for a neurology residency. And, and during my residency, I became really interested in pain medicine and pain management. And so I did a fellowship at Johns Hopkins Hospital in the Division of Anesthesiology and Critical Care, uh, a pain management, interventional pain management fellowship. And from there, uh, I ended up coming to Los Angeles. Now, the first job out of fellowship for me was with the Curlin Joe uh, orthopedic clinic, and uh, it's been 22 years. I've been here since since uh, fellowship. And Curlin Job is a large sports medicine clinic, orthopedic sports medicine clinic in Los Angeles. Uh, I've been here since 1997. Uh, and as a neurologist, uh, I would frequently be referred individuals who had concussions and concussive injuries. Uh, and so that's kind of how my uh, interest in neurology started, and then how the exposure to sports started. It really started because I I started working uh, doing pain management and sports neurology with this orthopedic clinic, and uh, it's been a great career. I've, I've enjoyed it tremendously. I've been able to combine two of my strong interests and passions, both both sports and neurology, uh, in a way that uh, I get to enjoy those things every day. So it's been a it's been a great um, you know way to kind of uh, develop a career. I often say I didn't find sports neurology, sports neurology found me. And so uh, it's, it's been really fun uh, to do this kind of work. Yeah, wow, what a great story. So it was really serendipitous. I mean, you know, the universe just kind of handed you this opportunity and um, you went with it. So I'd be curious, yeah, you know, how I, many of those how many of those other kids actually continued the path um, that they were placed in? Well, you know, I know the the um the one of the other students I know uh that I went to high school with that started that program and uh as a summer uh intern uh continued into medicine and uh continued to follow the same career uh in uh, the department that they had been placed in. So I know at least one other did. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, it's really interesting having those kinds of opportunities, and a lot of times it's what you're exposed to. And then if you have mm -hmm. someone who really brings it alive and makes it interesting, uh, you know, I think that makes a big difference as well. And I certainly had that in Dr. Welch, who was the chair of neurology at that time. Wow, that's a really cool story. So let's just kind of dive in here with the topic of concussion protocols. And how you and I originally connected, um, I had put a request out on HARO, which for anyone listening that doesn't know what that is, it's um, a site that journalists can use to find sources for articles. And um, I was looking for people to comment on the term cleared of concussion, because I see this in my Facebook group all the time. 
And people who have been in a car accident or they fell like I did on the ice or, you know, whatever, whatever might have happened, they go to the emergency room or they go to their GP and they're told, oh, you're cleared of concussion. And it just makes me cringe because just because your symptoms don't show up on day one doesn't mean you don't have a concussion. You you know, they can take days or weeks to evolve. But what was really interesting, every response, I probably had 40 people respond to this. Every single one was angled towards sports and cleared of concussion, like return to play. And I thought that was fascinating Mm -hmm. because that told me, what, what do we think of when we hear the word concussion? We think of sports. Um, so right. I thought that was a really fascinating, like it, I didn't even intend to do an experiment, but it kind of turned into an experiment. Um, mm-hmm. But I was really intrigued by what you sent me um, and all of your information, which is, you know, essentially how it came to be that we put your article in this magazine. Um, but, you know, concussion is defined as a traumatic brain injury. Right. And I wish that we would start calling it what it is and stop using the word concussion because like, you know, a parent, I hear this all the time. Oh no, he just has a concussion. He's fine. You know, we wouldn't say, Oh, he just has a brain injury. He's fine. That sounds ridiculous. (laughs) Exactly. And it gets worse because, you know, we, we term, you know, we tend to categorize these brain injuries as mild or moderate or severe. Mm -hmm. And so, um, concussion is other in other situations um, uh, described as or referred to as a mild traumatic brain injury. And as you know, uh, there are scenarios where, uh, you know, the consequences of the concussion are mild or temporary, but there are other scenarios where anything uh, but that is true. People can have very yeah. severe symptoms and can last for a long, long time. So, you know, this misnomer or it, it's kind of misleading uh, yeah. to consider that these are all mild Uh, even when we use the term traumatic brain injury. So you're absolutely right. How we define and what we call this injury can be very misleading. And um, I wish there was like an easy way to to solve that problem. But pretty much every conference, international experts, local experts, national experts uh, uh, related to concussion starts with this issue of how do we define it? and, And then how can we better convey some of the information about this injury uh, to people so that they don't, you know, they don't misinterpret this issue as something mild or something that just kind of blow off. Or right. Right. And, and I understand that as a medical professional, um, you do need some sort of uh, system of determining, you know, mild, moderate, severe, you know, like I understand why it exists, but I feel the names are incredibly misleading. You know, for me, mine was determined to be mild concussion, right? Mine was anything but mild. I mean, it took me two and a half Mm -hmm. years to get back to any sort of normal. And when I started doing research, when I was finally able to, about a year into it, um, you know, like I had loss of consciousness. I had, like, my symptoms were severe. Like, I I couldn't remember what I had for breakfast. I didn't know who the president was. Like, I mean, I really fit into the moderate category, right? Um, But even then, you know, what does that mean, right? So I do. I think there needs to be a, a better labeling system. Yeah. 
You're absolutely right. And I'll give you an example. Sometimes we're uh, consulted uh, by individuals. It could be a team. It could be an indiv- a parent or, or, or a patient, an athlete. It could be, uh, you know, kind of a weekend warrior. But people will, will uh, consult with us and say, well, listen, I've had X number of concussions. Uh, should I think about giving up this activity? And maybe that's sports. Maybe that's working as a police officer or a firefighter or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the assumption from that question is that each concussion is equivalent. <laughs> and they're not. They're anything but. So, you know, it's like, well, you know, if you've had three concussions, is that too many? If you've had five concussions, is that too many? If you've had two, is that too many? And people, again, instinctively look for a short or quick answer, but there is no quick answer because they're not equivalent. So one of the first things mm-hmm. most concussion specialists or experts will do is to kind of dig much deeper into each one of those episodes and say, well, tell me about that episode. Uh, what were the symptoms that you had at the time? How long did those symptoms last? What kind of treatment did you need to get over it? Have you gotten over them? And so the answers to those questions are what really give us some information about how we would respond to that question of should they retire or should they give up that sport or give up that activity uh, because uh, even if you've defined them accurately and you've counted the number that have occurred, uh, there can be significant differences in the severity of them. And, you know, we, need, we really need much more information to kind of put some color on each one of those episodes, and that tells us more information about that individual's brain and what the risks are of continuing those kinds of activities and, and what have you. So, you know, it, it, it's not simple, uh, and, you know, we wish it was, but it's not simple. And, um, and so how we define them, how we describe them is really much more important than kind of just the number of events that have occurred or whether it was at one time defined as mild or moderate or severe. Uh, there's, there's so much more information that goes into how we kind of uh, assess each one of those episodes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no two brain injuries are the same. No two recoveries are the same. And I know that that's what makes it so incredibly complex, right? You know, like you can have two people in the same car have the same, car accident and one can walk away with no symptoms and the other one can struggle for years you know that's, that's what's just so complex and what makes it so challenging um and then you know you have doctors who are kind of dark ages <laughs> and haven't chosen to take any continuing education and learn about concussions and you know i've heard so many in my group complain how their doctor told them, oh, your symptoms can't possibly be from your concussion. Your concussion was 10 months ago. You know, you, you're fine. You're recovered from that by now. And that's so far from the truth. Um, you know, I, I heard, you know, at my one-year appointment, oh, well, this is probably the best you're going to be. You know, there's no improvement after the first year. And that is such outdated information, you know. Um, I didn't see a recovery till two and a half years in. So, you know, it's it's really, it's a huge, huge challenge. And, you know, people listening, you know, if your doctor's giving you answers that you don't like, you always have the option to try and find a different doctor. Um but, you know, how do we combat that? How how do we bring doctors into yeah. the new age? <laughs> I know that's a loaded well, I, question. You know <laughs> no, that's but it's a great question, <clears throat> and it's an important question. Uh, the American Academy of Neurology published the first evidence-based 
guidelines on concussion uh, back in 2013. And in those guidelines, <clears throat> one of the most important aspects of uh, treatment of concussion had to do with what we call cognitive restructuring. And what that means is uh, there's significant value in educating people about what we expect uh, from from their concussion recovery and the fact that we do expect people to recover. Now, they may recover at different rates and over different periods of time, uh, but really reinforcing the fact that we do have treatments available for the symptoms, uh, and if those symptoms are visual uh, or if they're related to their balance or they're related to headaches or what have you, there are things that we can do to help improve those symptoms. And so we want to combat the concept that this is an individual's uh, kind of new normal. Like they, they should just expect this to be the case from here on out. That cognitive restructuring, just explaining that to people has therapeutic value and contributes mm -hmm. to their improvement. And it also contributes to their quality of life and their sense of optimism and helps combat depressed mood and, and nihilism, this concept that, they, you know, just nothing will ever get any better. So the point you make about a physician's role in that process is critically important. You know, I've seen individuals who've come in and have said that they had symptoms of, you know, chronic post-concussion syndrome, and then when you talk to them about uh, what kinds of treatments they've had access to, in some cases, it's none. Yeah. And so do we say that that person has post-concussion syndrome because their concussion was that severe, or, or should we be saying, well, they have symptoms that have been gone ongoing because of a lack of treatment or effective yes. treatment. And yeah. so, um, you know, though there's some subtle differences there, but there are important differences. And the point you make about educating people on the fact that it might take time for recovery, it may require certain interventions that they may or may not have had for recovery, and we shouldn't just accept uh, the presence of symptoms as a new normal, that they should really mm -hmm. continue to uh, seek help from someone uh, who, you know, who has, uh, you know, a potential answer for their symptoms that can help improve or, uh, or resolve their symptoms. Yes, such a valid point. You know, in my first year, um, I was seeing a chiropractor and a neurologist. And the neurologist was the one who kept telling me, you know, well, there's nothing we can do. We just have to give it more time. And I was begging. I'm like, should I be going like to PT, OT? Like, I don't know what exists, but should I be getting some sort of therapy? And she was like, no, we just need to give it more time. And in hindsight, you know, hindsight's 2020, but I'm like, man, why didn't I fire her? <laughs> you know, like she was clearly hindering my recovery. Um, yeah. You know, you know I should have been in vision therapy or cognitive therapy or something. Yeah, and there there are a lot of um, efforts that are really aimed at educating not just neurologists but all physicians uh, about the the concept of of concussion, how it's defined, and and then you know kind of updated approaches to treatment and management. And an example would be that uh, not too long ago, if an individual suffered a concussion, we did think, well, the brain just needs to rest, and let's continue yeah. resting the brain until the symptoms resolve. And uh, that was not uh, challenged for decades. Uh, but more recent information tells us that, hey, maybe the first 24 or 48 hours or so, 
48, 72 hours, rest is good. But beyond that, the brain actually likes activation. And so there is emerging evidence that says some people, particularly people who have a history of athletics and sports and exercise, uh, some people will tend to improve if we can start to get them exercising earlier. Maybe the brain hasn't completely healed, and they may still have some mild degree of symptoms, but uh, it looks like for many individuals, exercise uh, and, and getting some uh, kind of monitored or controlled exertion may be helpful for them in the long run. So that's, uh, you know, that's new information. So there may be physicians out there, even neurologists in some cases, who are, are less aware of our updated approaches to concussion. And so they, they think they're doing the right thing, but they may not be doing the right thing in every case uh, in terms of uh, this, this concept of, you know, resting the brain, uh, completely avoiding any exertion or activity until all symptoms are completely resolved. It goes even further in that some physicians have have recommended what we call cocoon therapy, where they say, well, no, stay mm. in a, not only mm-hmm. avoid exercise and exertion, but stay in a dark room, have no stimulation, uh, and, you know, avoid any television or, or cell phones, yep. uh, light, uh, stay in a dark room. And so uh, there's you know, significant evidence that shows that that's not the right thing uh, for the overwhelming majority of individuals, particularly uh, over long periods of time. It can significantly contribute to depressed mood and depression and worsen symptoms. So you're right. I think that, and unfortunately, in some cases, people will seek medical attention appropriately, but they may or may not be given accurate information. Uh, You know, we all need to do a better job at educating all physicians uh, and other healthcare practitioners, you know, nurse practitioners, uh, physician mm-hmm. assistants, uh, chiropractors, yeah. acupuncturists, uh, physical therapists, athletic trainers, uh, all all healthcare professionals, any stakeholders who are involved with uh, treating this kind of injury, uh, you know, educating them on more up to date and state of the art approaches. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was basically given the cocoon therapy (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I was told avoid everything for about four to six weeks. And Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, I really could hardly do anything anyway, like going to the grocery store and coming home, I needed a nap, you know. Um, But, you know, in hindsight, I see how that hindered me. And I really I went to a very depressed place. I, you know, I didn't think I was ever going to get better. But we're, we're taught from a young age to blindly trust our doctors. And so I did, you know, I didn't question any of my doctors in the beginning and it took me about a year to come out of the like fog. Right. And that's when I started questioning things and stuff. I, you know, that's when I fired my neurologist and, you know, but you know, so many people don't have, you know, that, that's why I'm so passionate about what I do, because I want to help people find the resources sooner in their recovery, not two and a half years like it took me. Um, but, you know, that, that's where all my passion comes from. <laughs> and so many people don't have any, anywhere to turn, any guidance. And, you know, that's where I was in the beginning. Um, and, you know, it is, I feel so badly for these people that are just put in a cocoon like I was and have no support systems. And, you know, the, the flip side of it all is society, you know, thinks that concussions are no big deal. And, you know, I know for me, I had friends drift away. They're like, oh, my God, Amy, it's been six weeks. Get over it. Meanwhile, I couldn't even, like, read a book, 
literally, you know? Um, so, you know, the whole, the flip side with society, not understanding when you have friends and family that don't get it and they think you're just exaggerating or faking it. And it's like, no, I would never, ever fake this. Like I want to be better. <laughs> right. You know, well, you so know, we see some of the same, we see some of the same kinds of, um, issues that we see in other kinds of uh, conditions where, you know, people are much more likely to sympathize and empathize if they can external, externally and visibly see evidence. Mm-hmm. So if you were walking around with crutches or with a cast on your leg for several weeks or uh, something that was visible, people would go, oh, wow, you're still recovering, you know, and, yeah. uh, and they see and view those, those symptoms very differently. But uh, concussion Similarly to what we see with things like headache uh, and other kinds of chronic pain, in some cases, if people can't visually see that you're injured, then they just assume that uh, you should be fine. Uh, you know, there's nothing visibly wrong, and nothing could be further from the truth. We know that there's significant uh, disability uh, associated with, you know, prolonged concussion syndrome, just like uh, we see with other things like migraine headache and, and other kinds yeah. of chronic pain. You may not be able to see it externally, but it's dramatically affecting that person's quality of life, affecting their overall health, uh, affecting their uh, function and their performance. You know, we talk about this issue of, uh, for instance, absenteeism, when people are absent from work or school because of their illness or their pain or their injury. Uh, And then there's also the condition that we term and call presenteeism, where people are there, but they're far less functional than they would otherwise be. They can't do nearly the kinds of things or uh, perform the way that they would normally perform uh, because they're dealing with those symptoms. And unfortunately, what you experience is what lots of people experience, and that is that if people can't see visible external evidence of injury, they assume you should be fine. You, you know, get get over it. What's what's you know what's the big deal? And that's just, yeah. you know, that's terrible. Not to be further from the truth. Dr. Uzma Samadani, she is the feature in my first issue coming out, and she had a great comment about you know we need to take the brain seriously as an organ. We wouldn't tell someone with 50% heart or kidney function um, that it's all in their head. Right. And that's exactly what we're doing with people with a brain injury. Um, So I thought that was a really profound quote. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, we we would never dismiss someone with a heart or kidney issue. That's right. That's right. And, you know, obviously, people can have a number of different kinds of symptoms with concussive injury. One of the largest categories uh, is related to mood. Uh, So people can Mm -hmm. develop depressed mood or anxiety Mm -hmm. or or other kinds of mood-related disorders. And so, you know, unfortunately, people will kind of categorize that and say, oh, it's all in their head or, you know, uh, what's wrong with them. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, Dr. Williams, we're down to our final minutes here. Um, I would love if you had any, you know, words of wisdom or final thoughts for our listeners. Yeah, so I would say one of the things that I think is most important is that concussion does give us an opportunity to focus on the brain and the importance of brain health across the lifespan. A lot of what we've learned in treating individuals with concussion can now be 
kind of extrapolated and built upon, and I think it gives us an opportunity to significantly affect people's brain health across the lifespan, and that includes both adolescents and youth. Uh, that includes adults who are going through uh, you know, college or earlier in their professional career, and that includes uh, seniors and, and, and those as well. Things that we can do to optimize focus and concentration and speed of mental processing and vision and balance and sleep and mood, all of these are neurological functions and neurological processes. All of those things can be affected by concussion. But as we learn more about these uh, these processes and how we can treat them in concussion, we're also learning how we can optimize performance in those areas, even in someone who hasn't been concussed. And all of these things lead to improved neurologic health across the lifespan. So I agree completely with this concept that we have to take the brain as an organ seriously uh, and that we should do anything and everything we can to protect and optimize the health of the brain and start to consider the brain uh, whether it's with sports or whether it's with uh, hobbies or whether it's related to work, but as a critical factor in performance. And, and uh, obviously when it's injured, we have to take it seriously and treat it appropriately, but we also need to optimize the health and performance of the brain across the lifespan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Williams, thank you so much for being here. This has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. And I think our listeners really gained a lot of insight today from you. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Well, thanks. I appreciate it, uh, Amy. I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to uh, the magazine. And uh, uh, hopefully we can speak again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks again. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, just a reminder, you can always find previous episodes at facesoftbi.com. And another reminder, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Amy Zellmer. And please join our Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, on Facebook and connect with 9,000 other survivors and caregivers. And another big thank you to the Functional Neurology Center for sponsoring this episode. Find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and we'll see you next time.